Welcome to another episode of Pod Club. The podcast where we dissect, laugh, and provide commentary on the crazy number of podcasts we listen to. I'm Brittany. And I'm Lauren. And we're cousins who decided to take our views out of WhatsApp and share them with you, the listener. Hi, Lauren. Hey, hey. What you been up to? I know it's only, what, Monday? But what you been up to this, this week? I've been looking forward to this episode. Our last one of the year. I know. Isn't that crazy? I know. We're at 10 10 episodes. 10 episodes. Oh, my goodness. Yes. It was all a dream. All a dream. (laughs) Who knew the habit of listening to a crazy number of podcasts would lead to this? I know. This has been so fun. So, yes, it is episode 10. Um, but I'm excited because what we're going to talk about today can be exciting. I think it will be a good conversation. Oh, this is one of my favorite conversations to have. Yeah. Yes, I love talking about this. <laughs> yeah, yes. <laughs> I do. Oh, I do. Good. But what about you? What's what's up this week? This week, I mean, it's only Monday, but my my schedule's pretty full this week, so I'm just gearing up to get my mind right with talking to my my clients. Mm-hmm. And preparing for the holidays, honestly, I travel next weekend, so yeah, just trying to get some stuff done. That way, I can actually be present with family. So I'm just kind of looking forward to taking a break. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah. I've said this a few times already, but I'm definitely on do not disturb. Things are moving mm-hmm. a little slower, even with work for me. So I'm really happy about that. Um, mm-hmm. To be able to ease out of this year and into the new year. So are we ready for our? Uh... Our topic today. Yeah, so as we bid a farewell to 2023 and welcome in 2024, we are sure that everyone is gearing up with their goals and plans for the new year. Because of that, we wanted today's episode to usher in the new year spirit. Absolutely. We introduce to you Financial Feminist, hosted by money expert Tori Dunlap. In this episode, Tori Dunlap talks with Jamila Soufrant to discuss setting financial goals for your best life. So let's get into it. So listener, this podcast is certainly one that I am new to. Like I'm familiar with Tori Dunlap to an extent. I've never listened to the podcast. I generally knew what she would talk about. Um, But just a quick background on Tori Dunlap uh, or the podcast in general. She is a self-proclaimed money expert. Um, She is known for her... Saving 100K at age 25, which is pretty dope, actually. I don't really know what her journey was in her career to get her to that point, but I think that's a pretty dope accomplishment. Um, She likes to guide people through making more money, spending less, and feeling financially confident in a world run by white men. That is literally the tagline on her website. So uh, I guess there's some radicalism (laughs) there. Yeah. I mean, just the name, the title of the podcast itself, Financial Feminist, you knew it was mm-hmm. going to be radical right away. Um, and what I like about it, the way I like other financial podcasts hosted by women, is that it acknowledges that as women, we treat and view money differently than our male counterparts. Mm-hmm. And that our history with money is vastly different from our male counterparts. So it's really nice to to listen to podcasts that acknowledge that, that live that mm-hmm. and, and provide guidance um, to us. Yeah, for sure. And I think I, I've underestimated the benefit of listening to people's stories when it comes to their financial journey, because when they're, when they have these big, big platforms like this, you, you really only see the finished product, right? Like they're still doing work. They're still building their brand, but technically this is like a finished product of what they had to do or felt they needed to do to get to this point. So it's always a good humbling experience for me when I hear somebody talk about like where they started, because it encouraged me to say, okay, Like we've all been in some spots where we either had to figure it out, but like this is not where you'll be forever, right? So it makes a a difference, at least for me. Yeah, 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 for sure. And I like this episode in particular with Jamila because she continues to talk about where she actually is Mm -hmm. versus what she may have projected for herself in the past when she from when she was younger. Um, Right. The power of 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 your story. Will mm-hmm. never. Um, I don't know what I'm gonna say, but the power of story is 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 huge. 
Yeah, absolutely. So if you don't know uh, Jamila Souffrant, uh, she is the founder of Journey to Launch Personal Finance Podcast. I've not listened to that one, but after listening to this episode, I definitely subscribed. I think to her you're gonna podcast. like it. I think you're gonna like yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like. Okay, Jamila I mean, I like those. I, I like. Okay. I like Jamila a lot, and her background lends lends itself to some really good content. I think you're gonna okay. like it. Yeah, I mean, the way she was talking in this episode made me like her immediately. Uh, you could tell she's super passionate about what she does. And so I can appreciate that, especially when the story is a little relatable. Yeah. You know, it's always nice seeing a black woman grow. Yeah. You know, it's always super dope for me. Um, but yeah, she has her own podcast. She's also the author of the book, Your Journey to Financial Freedom, which literally published this month, mm-hmm. earlier this month. So good for her in that respect. Um, but yes, this episode is setting financial goals for your best life. This is like the perfect episode to wrap up 2023 and kind of give us some things to talk about for 2024. Um, so one of the first things um, Tori asked Jamila was what was her first money memory or her, or her first relationship with money, which I actually really like because it got me thinking like, huh, when did I first either touch money or had my first relationship with money? But would you like to to share what your first? Yeah. I mean, I have two core memories with money. The first, I was 13 years old and I was going to Europe. I was a part of the people to people student ambassador program. Mm -hmm. And we did a lot of fundraising. My mom gathered as much money as she could from colleagues and family and stuff like that to send me over there for three weeks when right after I turned 13 and she gave me, I can't remember if it was $200 or $500, but I'm pretty sure it was like $200. (laughs) And I say that because most of the kids were white kids that I went with. And Mm. most of these kids came from some amount of money. Mm. I didn't think about that until I was around them to see the ease with which they moved and Mm. were able to do everything that they were doing. So I didn't really notice it until we were in Europe altogether when they were buying souvenirs and doing any number of things. These were kids who had maybe a thousand dollars that their parents gave them as an allowance for the three weeks. Um, But I just knew that I had less. The thing that was interesting is that I didn't feel like I had less. Mm. Um, And when it came to souvenirs, I was very intentional about what needed to come back. And I brought my mom back a hundred dollars change. Oh wow. Oh my goodness. Not because, you know, I felt pressured or that we were wanting for something, you know, Mm -hmm. or that we were poor or anything. It was just, I don't know. There was something about me that said like, I'm going to bring back change. You were proud of that. I was so proud of it. I came back and I gave her the hundred dollars and I just know she was so surprised by it. But I I remember being so like, oh, (laughs) you were so responsible at 13. I know. I was so happy about that. And it's like I said, it's not like she talked to me about like, you know, budgeting, Mm -hmm. but that was my first experience with budgeting without Mm. thinking about it. Yeah. And I remember being in Paris And I bought some film because this was at a time that film cameras still, right? So I bought some film and I saw that there was a better deal on film in a different store. (laughs) And I remember going back to the place and said, I need to return this to you. Mm -hmm. And he was speaking French. And I think he just didn't want to give me the money back. But I like kept insisting, you need to take this back. (laughs) So I returned the film just to get the cheaper film down the street. <laughs> and I don't know. That's that's my first memory of just budgeting and bringing yeah. back the change. I don't think she gave me $500 to spend. It might have mm-hmm. been. Um, I'll have to ask my mom. But I remember it being significantly less than my white counterparts. But mm. I didn't feel like I had less than them. I didn't mm. feel like I couldn't do anything. Yeah. Um, and they were buying all kinds of stuff. I'm sure. And all kinds of souvenirs and stuff like that. And, um, but I didn't feel like I had any less. Mm. And, you know, you, you go with your, your first memory and I'll share my second one. That was also super core for me. Okay. As you were talking, I was really sitting back and thinking like, 
what was actually my first experience. And as you were talking, I literally or immediately thought of the piggy bank, Mm, like putting coins and quarters. And I think it was y'all and I can only associate it with with your brother, (laughs) uh, Craig. There was this um, the safety lock. And I, I I thought I would love it. It was one of those, like, say your password. And I would say the password and I could never open it. <laughs> like, I thought I did the security right. But that was that was like kind of one of those second early memories with money because I had the, the actual glass. Was it made out of glass? I don't know. Piggy banks? Because you had to break it to get it open. I mean, it depends. Um, it, it, it would have bank, that. Yeah. yeah, but it would have that plug. But like, if you really wanted all of it, you had to. So we would keep coins around and I would put them in. I'll never forget my mom got us the uh the quarter map so like we would collect all the quarters from the different states if we could find them and we would put them um wherever the state was on the quarter and then you know when he wanted snacks I would sneak and get that 50 cents <laughs> I could get some chips but I would replace it so that was like an early memory that I can think of um and then when I was helping at the tennis center my dad would give us like 20 dollars and then I would like strategically say okay this sandwich is five dollars this is what I'm going to get today, but tomorrow we're going to have to bring something from home because yeah. <laughs> we don't want to spend the whole 20. Yeah. <laughs> so that was like my early, earliest memories with money. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. I love that. I'm trying to remember this piggy bank situation. Yeah, it was like blue. I don't remember the name of it, but I could never open it. I heard the money in there. <laughs> like, it was there, and I thought I did the encryption for my voice and everything, and it would not open. Oh, like, my goodness. You got to ask out Please say your that. password. I know. It would say, please say your password. And it came from y'all. Because I just, rem- I don't know why I'm remembering Craig specifically. But yeah, I just remember y'all. It came from y'all. And it was like, please say your password. Okay. It was the coolest thing ever. Craig, if you're listening, Craig is my older brother listeners. If you're listening, do you remember this piggy bank at all? <laughs> I'm very yeah. curious now. It was like a square... I don't know. I can't describe what it looked like, but I'm looking at it right now. <laughs> and it was the most infuriating thing because I'm like, I'm saying my password. <laughs> like, why can't you hear me? But yes, that was my earlier memories with money. Oh, I love that. It would be a piggy bank. That's so wholesome, Brittany. Yes. <laughs> Brittany was so wholesome when she was a little girl. So having a I piggy wish. bank just feels so on brand. So on brand. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. Um, but my second core memory was the day I got a bank account. Mm. Now, I do remember having something like this beforehand, but I specifically remember sitting in Bank of America. This is before I was going away to college. I remember sitting with my mom in Bank of America, um, setting up the bank account because that was the bank they had on campus. Mm. And that was, you know, me sitting down talking to the bank the banker about how to navigate a checking account and a savings account and things like that. Um, and how to write checks. My mom had already taught me how to write checks by that time, but I remember sitting down with her in the bank of America on her lunch break, opening Mm. up that bank account. And I remember feeling very like, okay, this is where it begins. <laughs> I have a bank account now. Because I would have like summer jobs before that, but my mom was our account. And mm. I think by that point, she may have also opened up a um, credit union account for me, mm. if I'm not mistaken. And so I do remember that being in existence, but I didn't necessarily have ready access to it. So whatever money I was making, it was always going through my mom to get that mm-hmm. money mm-hmm. you know because I was underage working mm-hmm. you know summer jobs and stuff yeah. but I remember my first bank account we were joint together um just before I went to college yeah, yeah. that's cute yeah my parents did the same thing or my mom did the same thing she opened the bank accounts like I knew it exists I just don't remember at what point well, it was probably right before I went to college where I actually got the debit card to the bank account. Um, but it was already set up, so there wasn't a need to go to the actual bank. I'm not sure the timeline of of how long she had had it for me, mm-hmm. but it was very much a sit-down talk of, okay, you have a meal plan. You don't really need to use this card like that. <laughs> so it was a very strategic conversation about the expectations, how to manage the money, 
when to ask for money, but like when it was necessary, right? Like don't just ask just because you don't want to eat on campus. Yeah. <laughs> but mind you, I took advantage of campus food. I really did. Yeah, yeah. I was <laughs> on campus all four years. Mm-hmm. And I got my little allowance from my mom. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then I guess at that at that point, the biggest or the largest amount I had had gotten at that point was from the college refund. And that was like, oh, so this is real life. And I really need to pay attention to how I, I manage this. Now, did I buy a couple of shoes? Yes. But that, but then I kept it there. Like I, tr- I really tried not to do too much because I knew I still had to, to survive really. Cause I heard the horror stories of people getting cars getting ridiculous stuff because they got these super large refunds and mine really weren't that big anyway. So I don't know if this is, this is the age gap showing, but when I first went to school, um, I had no clue that people were getting refund checks. Mm. I didn't know about that until my senior year of college. Mm. Maybe that was deliberate on my mom's part. I'm not sure, but I didn't know about that until my senior year of college. I'm actually glad I didn't know about that because I don't know having never seen that much money that you get in return because some of these people were getting $5,000 in return, whatever in return, having never seen that much money at age 18, you have no business, you know, getting all of that back and being expected to be responsible with it. it. Exactly. So I, yeah, I didn't know people were, were getting that, but also Mm -hmm. I, aside from refund checks, I did go to school with a lot of affluent kids. So Mm. I don't even know how many were actually getting refund checks. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. So those are our our early moments with, with money. So how did that experience shape how you've maneuvered or grown into your adulthood? Yeah. Would you say? I listened to this podcast episode was really nice because I think you started our day. You sent me that voice note this morning. You started our day from a space of gratitude. And I think that listening to the podcast expounded on my, my already grateful space, right? Because I started Mm -hmm. thinking about how my mom navigated money. And even though we didn't have extreme transparency, like we didn't know how bills were being paid or anything like that. Her just general attitude about money was never one that was restrictive and it was never one that was frivolous. It was Mm -hmm. always this nice balance, which is her favorite Mm -hmm. word is everything needs to be balanced. (laughs) And so when I think about growing up in that kind of environment, it just gave me a really healthy perspective that money is a tool and nothing more. Yeah. It's a tool and nothing more. And when it, but when it comes to, how I function with money now, the discipline I have, the only thing I can really attribute that to, to be honest, is maybe genetics. (laughs) Mm. And I don't know, you'd have to tell me, Dr. B, in terms of like what could be carried genetically into others. But my father's an incredibly disciplined person. Mm. He might not be in every area of his life, but his core, one of his, his core is discipline. If he's going to set out to do something, he's going to do that thing, right? Mm. And so when I think about how I budget, how I choose to navigate my financial life or the lifestyle that I want for myself, it's always been from a place of discipline. Mm. So from my mom, I got the space to live and understand that money is a tool to enhance, not anything more Mm -hmm. that you do need it to navigate, but it shouldn't stress you out. But then I got the discipline from my dad to say, okay, the way I want to live, I'm focused and disciplined mm. to go after it in, you know, in the way that I want to go after it. Absolutely. I love that. I would say the same message came from both of my parents. Like there was always a, a teaching of making sure we understood the importance of saving money and kind of also having your necessities, right? Like not to say that we wouldn't want for anything, right? But it was always like, okay, if you know you're about to run out of something, don't wait until you're on your last, last, and now you have to spend so much more money that way you can. So it was kind of always finding your your relationship with structure. And I guess in a way that is discipline for sure. Um, and I would say that certainly has carried me through how I I manage myself in general. Like I, I, I am, I, I think I've tried to steer away from it, but I guess I do thrive in structure. 
I used to think it was too rigid for me. And so I've had to have a balance of, okay, what does structure look like and where can I thrive Mm -hmm. within that? And I do like your point about it is, it is a tool. I actually came across a TikTok um, where she was saying like, money is a tool. Don't feel guilty for buying something that you, you really needed. Money will always come back. And so anytime I do feel a bit anxious, I always go back to what is true. The money will come back. Now, if you buying something that wasn't a necessity, right? Like, did you consider that before you pressed submit on payment, right? And so that's where I'm finding or wanting to be more focused on balancing is like, all right, like you might want the sneakers. We don't need them yeah. <laughs> right now. Let's take the conversation outside of need for a second because one of the other things that is so valuable about being taught the lesson that money is a tool is that you also understand that it's not here to make you happy. Mm. right you understand Mm -hmm. that it's here to provide what you need and happiness is its own separate game that you got to figure out for yourself absolutely Um, so even with those wants what I like that Jamila Souffrant said in this episode you have to have your enough point yeah and what I love about my upbringing is that enough ain't got nothing to do with money really Mm. and I really appreciate that because mm-hmm. I know how to live on 40K and I know how to live in any any higher tax bracket than that. Right. I can live in the higher tax bracket and 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 spend 40K. Mm-hmm. I've always lived below my means. Mm-hmm. I don't care how many times I might get a, a, a money increase. I'm still mm-hmm. going to be living on 10% of that or 20% of that. And mm-hmm. so when I think about the environment I grew up in, we didn't want for much. We had everything we needed. And the things that were needed were the love and and the support and attention and the ability to be a kid. So your material wants aren't even something that you register the same way. And I think that has remained true in my life. I don't have very many material wants. And the second I start to feel myself being gravitating to, to more material desires, I know it's because I'm being influenced by some sort of external factor. Mm, I hear that for sure. I'm actually really glad that you brought up that point because social media is the main thing Mm -hmm. that's got people wanting to live a lifestyle that's not really theirs. And so Jamila had also brought up, I think she used the the example now, and I'm sure it's in her book. I think she said the guac style. Yeah, guac Um, levels. of budgeting or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. And I love that because it was really one of those moments. You got to check your lifestyle. If you want to live a certain, certain way, then you got to figure out if you're willing to make certain sacrifices for you to have whatever it is that you want, but sustain it. Yeah. Right. Um, and I've had to really adjust. Okay. What do we need to sacrifice? Not because I'm not happy about the things, but like, sometimes you got to take a step back and really figure out this isn't really not that important. I don't need to get my lashes done. (laughs) I don't go nowhere like that anyway. And they're annoying. Um, so I don't have to get my lashes done or even just interrogate why you want it. That's the piece Mm. that's missing. We're not going to do anything about social media It's here. And it's here to stay. There's always going to be images and things that they want you to consume. But if you can just take a second and interrogate why you're wanting the things you want, you, you'd be shocked to find that a lot of it has to do with what you saw. Mm-hmm. It's not an inherent, oh, I really like this. I want this for myself. Mm-hmm. And it's why, you know, to keep quoting Jamila from this episode, she's like, you come to find out, you get to that point and then you're not happy. Yeah, you're not happy. Yep. There's been no interrogation of who you are and what you actually want without comparing it to other people. Mm-hmm. And I, I guess I want to say too, as much as I love fi- t- financial talk, financial podcasts, I consume it pretty regularly. I don't ever get bogged down in other people's advice about how to go about my financial journey. Because mm-hmm. I think even in that, you can find yourself comparing what they did mm-hmm. to you and how you're doing mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. So I like to take the approach, even as we're recommending this podcast episode, I think we both agree, listen, take what applies and let everything else fly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because then you'll yeah. find yourself in that same loop of comparison. You're just listening to it in audio. 
Like, mm-hmm. oh, she has three children and she's able to be financially independent. I have three children. I should be financially independent. Oh, ah. right. <laughs> Before we get yeah. there, know yourself and interrogate mm-hmm. your wants and desires. Not everybody's an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. I don't care what nobody says. Right. You know, not and everybody, everybody wants to be. to be that. Exactly. Exactly. And I think, too, I actually had a, I, I don't know if this is this is on topic, but I think it, it might be. I had a humbling experience. This, I don't think I told you this, but I had a humbling experience uh, this past weekend. It was it was introspective through, because a lot of times I think listeners know at this point I am a therapist, and a lot of things that that clients do want to process, obviously that's what the space is for, ends up being things that I'm also working through myself, right? And so a lot of times after each session, I'm journaling so I can kind of work through my own thing because it ends up being a learning experience for me. Mm-hmm. And I forgot what we were talking about, but it had dawned on me that I felt entitled to success, right? I felt entitled to things going in the way that I expected them to. And it doesn't mean that they won't. I just thought they would happen sooner, mm-hmm. right? And so I had to sit back and say, okay, why do you feel entitled to this? And how is this entitlement actually helping you do anything productive? Because mm-hmm. you're not thinking clearly. Sometimes you're being a bit too impulsive or you're in your head and you're not you're not doing things right. Right. So like take a step back, evaluate what is happening right now so you can be more productive in how you think and be more confident in like this is just the space that I'm in right now. So it was important for me to send you that voice note this morning. Like I'm in a space of gratitude because I was able to reevaluate like you can figure this out. You're just not giving yourself a chance to. Yeah. So take a break. Breathe relax your shoulders, it's going to be okay because every time it has been, literally, Mm -hmm. I have proof of that every single time, you know? So it's- Yeah, that is interesting. I do think that's on topic because people feel entitled to other people's stories Mm -hmm. of success. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to try to explain that to bring it home to what you're saying. When you're listening to someone else's story, if you're not careful, you start to- imagine yourself in their shoes in a way that's not not only not realistic but it's not healthy for how you need to function in your life Mm -hmm. and so you've created this sense of entitlement around the level of success that they have achieved you feel Mm -hmm. like it's supposed to be you because you've so identified yourself with the story they've told that it's now your story but it's Mm -hmm. not and you have to write your own So, I mean, I don't want to go too far down that line, but even in listening, even as we advise you guys to listen to this podcast, because it's a really good episode and I love Jamila, Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. I think even she would say, you take what applies and you let everything else fly. Don't overly identify yourself with someone else's success. That's what social Mm -hmm. media pushes you to do every day. Try Mm -hmm. your hardest to unplug. The other piece that I really like that came up that I feel I don't know where it has come from in terms of why I have this trait, but she mentioned being resourceful and asking quality questions to find your way through things. And one thing that I know for sure that I'm good at is developing a a quality set of questions to figure out my own path. Mm. And that stops me from overly relying on any one given resource, if that makes Mm -hmm. sense. Mm -hmm. I don't know how else to package that and tell other people to do it, except to say, you have to look at your own life, listen Mm -hmm. to the different anecdotes that you get along the way and drop everything else. Mm -hmm. Because no one's life is yours. No one's financial story is yours. You can be inspired Mm -hmm. by, but you're not going to be them. And that's okay. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. That's okay. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. I I wonder too, if it's relevant to point out that I think in, in evaluating what it is that you need to gain more understanding of financial literacy is paying attention to how the messenger is relaying the message, right? Like, like the gym, right? Like you think it's motivating to talk to yourself in this super rude way like get your ass up and you know like that doesn't work for everybody and there are some financial platforms where it's kind of like the shame of or the message is surrounding shame not not taking into account that people's experiences are drastically different sometimes the survival is every day right like it's 
it's different. So I, it is incredibly important to know like, what are the needs? What's evaluate what is happening in your life right now. And then you take what you can to make it work for you. Cause like you said, everybody's life is different. It's supposed to be different. We're not on the same paths and we're not meant to be really. Yeah. Um, yeah. So hopefully that, that made, that made sense. Cause I've seen some stuff and I'm like, that's, that's rude. <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, I'm not even receptive to that. A huge part of people's marketing is being the mean girl or the mean guy. Mm. The, mm-hmm. the one who's yelling and saying like, oh, no, you need to be doing this. There ain't a person on this earth that could tell you what you need to be doing. Right. Not really. Right. Not really. You have to interrogate your life. And, you know, going back to the shame piece, find the shadowy areas of yourself that you have to kind of expose or put shed light on so that you can start to move in the direction you want. Like, Mm -hmm. if you find yourself unable to have financial conversations, ask yourself why. What is it about this financial conversation that bothers you? Mm -hmm. Where does the discomfort come from? Is it because you grew up in a house that was financially insecure? Is it because Mm -hmm. someone had control over you financially? Is it because you actually have no idea what you're doing? You know, the moment you say it out loud, the moment you shine a light on what that is, you get to start. And Mm -hmm. starting is the best thing you can do. And Mm -hmm. the rest after that, you honestly are making it up as you go. Yeah. And you start to develop, once again, the quality of questions. In the beginning, your questions are not going to be but so quality because you don't know enough. Mm -hmm. But just get beyond the part that says, I don't want to look dumb. Or Mm -hmm. I'm 40. I should have already been. No. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Right. It doesn't matter. But say it out loud and just start. Mm -hmm. And maybe starting is just, I need to look at my bills. Mm -hmm. Over time, you will get more comfortable. Mm -hmm. Right. You have to start. You have to give yourself a chance. Yeah. But if you don't start, you're not giving yourself a chance. And this is, and that's essentially, I think you said it before. Uh, That's what Jamila was saying kind of towards the end of the episode is like, you just got to give yourself a chance to, to figure it out. Mm-hmm. Right. Like we're, we're all trying to figure it out. Like nobody knows all of the answers. Yeah. Right. And even these self-proclaimed financial experts, right. Like they lived through whatever they went through and decided, I want to share my experience in hopes that it will help somebody. Mm-hmm. Cause they wouldn't technically have a story otherwise, I guess, or it wouldn't be as convincing. It's a good marketing approach essentially um but you just have to give yourself a chance otherwise you will never you will never figure it out ever (laughs) you know so and finding your tribe really if it's not social media there are plenty of resources in your city that could offer you even at your bank you can Mm -hmm. talk to somebody about figuring out what it is that you need to do you know so but before you even get there just to reiterate find the corners of yourself that are Mm -hmm. resistant to it Mm. i don't want to go to the bank maybe looking at me where does that come from yeah where does that come from yeah and how is it helping you to stay that way Mm -hmm. is it working absolutely right interrogate interrogate those spaces for yourself Mm -hmm. so that you can start absolutely i agree it always starts with self because at the end of the day, you got to have you before anybody else, yeah. really. And that's what Jamila was saying. She said, if 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 all else fails, if my business failed, if my books didn't sell, if everything that I set up failed, at the end of the day, I want me to be me. Mm-hmm. I want to have the most, because I am the asset. I think that's how she said it. I am the asset. And so I will treat myself as such. I will strengthen strengthen my relationship, right? So- like you said, you just have to find or really process and reflect on, okay, what is it about this that is making me avoid that or have this pushback to wanting to make the change? So yeah, it always starts yeah. with self. Yeah. One of the things that Tori said that I actually, I think I knew what she meant, but it didn't come come across too great when I, when it hit my ear and she mentioned like if you if you're saying this is fine in your life, I encourage you to make a different choice. Mm. 
The reason why that's a little crunchy for me is because it supports this idea of grind culture, right? And it leaves people in the vulnerable space of looking elsewhere to find, well, what else can I choose that's not fine? Mm. I firmly believe that not everybody is going to love their job and just be in this passionate career, mm-hmm. but that you can use these things as a tool if you don't have any particular leaning in a direction that you're passionate about and that you love about, love, love, you know, a lot, but that you like it enough and are, are, are proud of the work that you do. You wake up every day and you get up to do it. And then that the, the tool of the money that you get out of that endeavor is to do things that you're passionate about. Hmm. then that job can be fine for you. Right. Yeah. So I just, mm-hmm. I mean, it when it hit my ear, I just wanted to clarify that part because there's a mm. lot that can be fine in your life that you don't have to rush to change to be great or, or extravagant or whatever. That is unattainable. I don't care what anybody says. To have yeah. perfection across every sector of your life is not real. No. To have, you know, exceptional joy in every area of your life is not realistic Mm -hmm. so some things can be fine Mm -hmm. yeah yeah she contradicted herself quite a bit in that moment because while saying that she also admitted I know there's grind culture but you're perpetuating that at the same time and it's presumptuous to think that people can't be just fine because it really does depend on what you're talking about yeah right like I could be just fine it doesn't mean that everything's fine right like it could just be in this moment I'm fine yeah so or my job is fine and it'll always be fine because in my life my focus is not my job but guess what it pays me enough to be there for my family to be there for my friends to be there in my community Mm -hmm. so my job is fine Mm -hmm. I don't need it to be whatever Mm mm-hmm or the, some people are the opposite. My job is exceptional. This other side of my life is fine. I'm okay with it because I love what I'm doing over here. Mm-hmm. Fine is fine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, it just yeah. depends. It's why we're talking about interrogate your life for you. There's plenty of good that Tori had to say in there, but I'm going to leave the fine. Mm. Yeah. Right? If um, something in my life is fine, I encourage you to make a different choice. Thanks, but no thanks. Mm-hmm. It doesn't apply for me. I'm going to leave yeah. that right on the shelf. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, it really just is a matter of nobody can tell you how to live your life other than you. Nobody can convince you unless you really just out here wilding. Then, yeah, like then <laughs> then somebody can say, all right, like what's going on? <laughs> right. But even then you got a party. You got to know, like, what am I doing? <laughs> like, why am I wilding out right now? But that is where, it, like you said, it's important to know, like, let me just take these bits and pieces that can apply because this is what I'm looking for and I'm going to leave the rest. Mm-hmm. I like to tell people, well, my clients in particular, like, be the author of your story, right? Like, you you own that pen, you own that paper, write it. You should be the only person that can know your truth about your life. People can witness it, right? But it's still yours, right? So it is a matter of taking ownership of, your truth. And if you don't know your truth, take a moment and see what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, Tori, she, she, she contradicted yeah. herself. And I'm glad you brought that up because I heard it too. And I was like, wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> so it was, and it was a like I said, it may be, it didn't come out as she intended, mm. but that's how it hit my ears. Yeah. 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 So now that takes us into to me, kind of one of the most uh, interesting parts of the pod is when there was the financial freedom versus financial independence. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I can honestly say that I was using them interchangeably. Mm-hmm. Not that I thought that they didn't have different definitions, mm-hmm. um, but how Jamila really painted the picture with both concepts, I fully understand that they are I don't want to necessarily say drastically different, but they are indeed. I, I look at them different. like a Venn diagram. They they mm-hmm. have an overlap, a chunk of overlapping points to them, but there's so, mm-hmm. certain differences. That's how that's yeah. how I look at financial freedom versus financial independence. Okay, um, Jamila says that per her, yeah, she said financial independence is the ability to live off your investments. Mm-hmm. That's the 
that's the literal definition. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, is that something that you agree mm-hmm. with? The yeah, term? because yeah. and the, again, there's some elements of it that are overlapping with financial freedom. But um, when you don't have to be tethered to anyone or any enterprise and what pays you, so to speak, is automatic. Like when, you know, I have a good mm-hmm. friend who owns a brownstone in Brooklyn and, a, and another apartment complex. He rents both of these things out. And he does never, he never has to work again. Those two investments in New York are paying him. Wow. Mm-hmm. He works because he can't not do anything else. He doesn't know what else. He's not even 40. But wow. um, he has financial independence in that way. Mm. Do whatever he wants. Yeah. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. I love that. Yeah. Go your friend. <laughs> um, but and then but she- let me just say this one piece. As close as I am to him, we've done the whole conversation of like, okay, how can we get more into this place? And we are so drastically different. He's a white male. He, we are so drastically different that it just doesn't apply. And even he mm. couldn't necessarily figure it out the same way. So I say that to say, I am not a person who grew up in poverty. I don't have generational poverty as a part of my story, but he was starting so far ahead of anything that I have going on that he could mm. not figure out how to get me even close to where he is in any time frame that felt reasonable to him. Damn. Exactly. So when we talk about black tax, so to speak, or, you know, where we're starting with certain things, it's, it's substantial. This is not a man who grew up with wealth necessarily in the way mm. that we think, right? Blue collar yeah. family. Mm-hmm. So, but when you take into all the factors of what a given family is able to do, what they're able to get approved for, what what assets mm. are in existence over the over the course of generations, even within that blue collar, collar lineage, it still has you know it still kind of leaps and bounds ahead of ahead of us mm. in that way. It's it's fascinating. That's something. It's fascinating. Yeah. And he was distraught by it. Mm. He was distraught by it. But you know whatever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it is what it, it is. is, what right? it is. <laughs> um, I may have wrote this wrong, but I liked that. Well, not this part, but I did like the fact that Jamila said that financial freedom is not linked to the amount of money you have. Like you could still have debt, but be financially free. Mm-hmm. And I really appreciated that because a lot of times people do feel pressure to have like zero debt. I'll never forget a couple years, ah, but probably about three or four years ago when I was considering uh, buying a house. And so I had talked to a realtor and I was kind of freaking out because I knew I had a good amount saved, but then I'm like, yo, I got all this financial um, student loan debt. Um, I got a little bit of credit card debt. She was like, hold on, slow down. You could still get a house. You don't need zero debt. We just got to make sure that the debt that you do have is managed properly right so i i appreciate now at that point i was not financially (laughs) free but well i guess in a way i was um but i appreciated that because i think there at least for me there was a misconception of like financial freedom means like you have no debt Mm -hmm. and you kind of just (laughs) balling yeah but i think financial freedom is subjective right i'm not a person Mm -hmm. that's interested in carrying a bunch of debt before i take on another large debt so Mm -hmm. i would for me, that story wouldn't be the case because I'm not going to them until I've gotten my debt to a a place that felt freer for for Lauren. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. that's, I think, the bigger message here is like what one would do, you wouldn't do. Mm -hmm. What is comfortable for you? For some people, it is zero debt. Nothing wrong with that. Mm -hmm. Nothing wrong with that. What are the steps you're taking to get the zero debt down? For others, Mm -hmm. they're okay carrying two major debts in their lives. Mm-hmm. And that's fine too. There's no way to do it. I just think again, everybody has to decide what does financial freedom mean for you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, because I can honestly say, like for me, having a certain amount, like even if it's student loans, I don't feel comfortable having a mortgage on top of that. You talking about houses? I'm from the DC area. You talking about houses that are five hundred thousand dollars and up, and I have student loans? Not comfortable with that. Yeah. Right. So it's a hefty amount of money. Right. So it's so it's different for different people, yeah. and just how people respond to debt in general, they're gonna mm. they're gonna prioritize accordingly. 
Mm-hmm. For some people, getting completely debt-free is financial freedom. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, I have my doctorate, so we won't talk about that um, <laughs> at all. <laughs> but she also said, uh, did I write this right? Financial freedom is the the ability to make choices, to have security, to feel good about where you are, even with insecurities. Yeah. Um, I really liked that. And really, it's just under that still is a... a is aligned with what we were talking about before. It's evaluating where you are, right? Like, even if there are some insecurities, that doesn't necessarily mean that things aren't going right or that you can't figure it out. That's that's the main thing. You literally can figure it out. I'm reading a book now. Um, it's called How to Be a Wealthy Therapist because I, I want to see from a therapist perspective, like, how did this person, well, she's also a white woman, but how did this person get to a point where she claims to be either financially free or, or financially wealthy? Mm-hmm. And she said that um, she was in like $43,000 in debt and she was trying to build her private practice. And I thought that was pretty interesting. Now I'm just now getting started, but everybody has a story. Mm-hmm. I don't think people intend to rack up debt like that, right? Like you get so caught yeah. into like, I got shit to do. I got to pay my bills. I got this. I got that. Especially with trying to develop a business, right? Like it's, I don't think people go in wanting to do bad, right? It's just really finding that cutoff of, all right, like, do I need to do DoorDash? (laughs) Do I need to, what do I need to do to possibly avoid it being like that? But I think that's why the understanding your shadowy parts is the most important piece because Mm -hmm. you're going to keep getting back to that place if you it Mm -hmm. doesn't matter if if you have you get the debt things get out of control what were the habits that got the debt be honest about that because Mm -hmm. there's always habits attached to it always Mm -hmm. doesn't matter even even if you even if it was a an unconscious habit you're not thinking about things a certain way. You're avoiding something. You're, you're, you are not organized. So you actually miss the the payment on something. Like there's always habits attached to the accumulation of anything. Mm-hmm. Forget money. <laughs> there's always yeah. habits attached to it. So it's like figure, be honest about that. Mm-hmm. Be honest about that. And maybe sometimes you have to figure out how to delegate it. Mm-hmm. That's true. You have to figure out how to delegate it, or you know. But you have to, I really hate that finance is such a taboo topic to discuss among people because it really, you really have so many people a lot of times within your own communities and your own sphere of influence that can give you pointers, that can talk to you, talk you through certain things if you just are willing to be that Mm -hmm. vulnerable. Yeah, that's the key. It is vulnerability. Willing yeah. to be that vulnerable, like even something as simple as, and and not just the person asking, the person answering, be vulnerable. Mm-hmm. If someone says, mm-hmm. "How did how do you do this? How did you get here? What do you think is going to happen if you tell them the truth? Mm-hmm. You think they're yeah. going to go in your bank account and commit fraud? Like, <laughs> and don't get me wrong, have discernment about who you're dealing with, right. but information is just information. Mm-hmm. What else she said? I don't know if you had any pointers that you wanted to to pull out because I I wanted to mention the five stages that Jamila mentioned that's in her book. Yeah, go through five stages. Okay. Well, I guess they are the five stages to financial independence. So she said number one is financial stability. Number two is getting out of debt. Number three is reaching security. So that includes investing or your assets. Uh, four is work flexibility, and then five is financial independence. Like, so I guess the four steps will lead you to mm-hmm. the financial independence piece. The thing that um, I think that she's conveying this, but I don't think that it's a linear journey. Mm-hmm. You could be paying off debt as you're investing, mm-hmm. as you're, what was the fourth step? As you have more work flexibility, mm-hmm. right? Like, I have work flexibility, but I'm also higher up in the hierarchy of what I do. Mm -hmm. Um, The same is true for income. So there's a lot of freedom that I have Mm. while still paying off student loans. You know what I'm saying? So like 
Yeah. I, I believe Jamila is conveying that in in what she talks about in this episode, but I I often feel that whenever there's steps to stuff, people think it has to be just so. Yeah. It's not. It's so nonlinear. Yeah. Just the example that you gave about buying a house. Mm-hmm. That's a case in point of, of mm. you know, you having found stability, you have a savings, but you're in debt, mm. you know? Yeah. And there's freedom to the fact that you're even in the position to buy the house. Mm. And there's independence in the fact that you're doing it on your own, mm. you know? Like you're not relying on someone else to get the house for you or relying on someone else's income to get the house for you. So that's why I look at it as a Venn diagram. Yeah. Of, you know, there's lots that overlap between financial freedom and financial independence. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, and I and I don't know if she intended, and I said steps, I meant stages, but I, I don't think she intended for it to be like, this is the exact. No, no, no. I don't think thing. so at all. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think that's, that's what she was intending, but it was interesting. And maybe I'll get the book or maybe I'll listen to her podcast to kind of see how she even I, how she got to the point of saying these are the stages that could lead to whatever it is uh, to your financial freedom or independence. I, I am curious about that part. I'm always curious on how people get to say or they get to the point of saying, oh, these things can work. Yeah. And, and maybe in part they they specifically work for her because that was always her goal. I liked what she brought up. She brought up some imagination exercise, the 10 year life imagination exercise. And I think that's super valuable. I love to daydream about my life. And I'm so grateful going back to the spirit that you started our day on. Like, I am immensely grateful for the life that I have. And when I'm in my place, having my tea, and I'm listening to jazz in my apartment that I love and with the things around me that I've curated. I'm like, this feels like freedom. Mm-hmm. And that's why I, mm-hmm. I love podcasts like this. And I love having financial conversation and, and trying to talk to people about different career paths that they wouldn't have thought about that can make them more money and mm-hmm. stuff that you just don't think about. Right. Yeah. Um to try and create a life that maybe you can't actually imagine for yourself, which is why I think that Mm -hmm. exercise is pretty cool. But I like this episode. It's a good one. Yeah. I think we'll circle back. um, Cause I'm sure as we continue to review other pods, this they'll pop up with one that might be interesting. So definitely recommend. Um, So listener, we hope you enjoy it. Uh, This was our podcast review of financial feminist setting financial goals for your best life hosted by Tori Dunlap with special guest Jamila Sufron. If you enjoyed what you heard, make sure you rate and subscribe to Pod Club everywhere you get podcasts. Five star reviews only, y'all. Don't play. Email us at podclub.podcast at gmail or send us a voicemail to 832-919-8075 to give your take on topics discussed or to suggest some podcasts for us to listen to. And do not forget the socials. We are podclub.podcast on TikTok, IG, and YouTube. That's all for 2023. We will see you in 2024. Love you. Mean it. Bye.